Hey, all my IFG friends, this is Steve. I want to say, you know, if you like movies like I do, we've started a new podcast called Happy Hour Flicks. Uh, you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. It's all about nostalgic movies that we love, and we bring on special guests each episode, and we also have specialty cocktails made for each one, too. So it really is an hour of a good time talking about movies that we love, like Gremlins, uh, Seven, uh, Free Willy. Uh, we talk about The Last Starfighter also. So, I mean, we kind of run the gamut across all the decades and really have a great time. So I wanted to invite you to come over and join us at Happy Hour Flicks, anywhere podcasts are found. Film is an emotional medium. You feel it in your in your guts, in your entrails. And the people that give you that emotion are the, are the actors. You know, they're your, they're your conduits. They're your vessels. This is the, the independent, independent, independent filmmaker's guide from Framework Productions. Framework, Framework Productions. What is up and welcome to the Independent Filmmaker's Guide. Today we are talking with writer and director Sabrina Doyle for the film Lorelei. Now you could have seen this in the 2021 Tribeca Film Festival. It's also with Vertical Entertainment. It's a family drama based around, uh, you know, a family in rural, like an uncommon American family in rural America. That's right. It's a beautiful film uh, starring two incredible leads, Jenna Malone and Pablo Schreiber. Uh, Sabrina talks a lot about how casting is half the battle uh, when you have two amazing actors delivering incredible performances on a very concise, uh, you know, schedule when you're doing an indie feature. She also speaks quite a bit about working with children, which I found fascinating because she had three kids on this set playing uh, Jenna's children during the movie. And she speaks a lot about how to work with them and how to get the actors working together. Uh, we also talk about underwater filming as well as many other things from top to tail on the movie, Lorelei. I'm Stephen Pierce. And I'm James Allardyce. This is the Independent Filmmaker's Guide. Lorelei, can you just give us a quick, like for mm -hmm. if people haven't seen it yet, it comes out end of July, correct? Well, I call it a working class um, fable about a biker, a mermaid and three shades of blue. That's kind of how I, how I, entice people but what it's um but the synopsis I mean the more sort of fleshed out synopsis is that it's about a man who's been in prison for 15 years who comes out of prison and goes back to his small town and bumps into his high school girlfriend um and in the 15 years that he was away she had three children by three different fathers and they strike up you know they re-strike up a sort of tentative relationship um and he has to sort of contend with the fact that she has these three children who are difficult children and challenge him in very different ways. And he has to decide, you know, really whether he wants to be part of this family and, um, you know, against the sort of backdrop of, you know, he, he gets reinvolved with his, um, with his motorcycle club, which is how he kind of, which is how he got, um, you know, which is how he sort of committed his crime that got him in prison in the first place. So he sort of, he strikes back up friendships there um, and, you know, and he has to just deal with sort of being underemployed as well and kind of, you know, the fact that that that, that sort of getting back on your feet is tough in, in these these types of communities where people, many people are unemployed or underemployed. So it's a it's a slice of blue collar America, but it's infused with a bit of with a bit of dream stuff and a bit of magical realism as well, which we can talk about later, because I thought it was very important to show, you know, not just the hardship of, of these lives, but also the kind of the resilience, the tenacity and the dream life of the characters. And the bright spots. I mean, I come from uh -huh. Ozark, very rural, very poor America. So this is, I mean, the, I recognize this community and I recognize these people. 
Um, so in, in that world, um, oh, also like just to kick off two, two strong center performances from both Pablo and Jenna, they both are really feel like it's very, very strong center post performances had to make you very happy to have, get to work with actors like that. My God, yeah. I mean, it's a dream come true, really. Um, they elevate the film so much and, um, you know, really, um, you know, I was just incredibly lucky. It's my first film. So straight out of the gate to get two incredible, you know, incre you know, actors, actors. I mean, they're actors, actors, right? They just have this mm -hmm. incredible sort of um, talent, this, this craft that I think people really look up to. And I was just really lucky to work with them. Um, and they elevate to the film I mean it's one thing sort of writing a screenplay but then hearing it spoken in the words of actors and elevated in the mouths of actors and then elevated by them is, is something else so it was um and they really helped me with the kids as well they really kind of the kids were non-actors and had never acted before conversely so um having having these pros on set show them the ropes and I can you know I can you know get into sort of some uh, some anecdotes about that and and how the two veteran actors helped me with yeah the kids. but that was in, that was invaluable yeah like what um, what, what what do you remember um, well, so, um, so, I mean, I think Jenna was a child actor, right? So she under she started very young. So she kind of understood what the kids were going through and she knew, she, she just intuitively knew what they needed. So, you know, before we ever sort of step, put a foot on set, she said, look, I want to spend an evening with the kids. I want to cook dinner with them as a family. And I want to sort of spend time as, you know, as a little family unit, me and the three of them. So they, you know, I, I and I wasn't present. I was like, you guys do it and be, you know, you know, I was around most of the time, but for that evening, she just went and spent, you know, spent the night with the kids and cooked dinner with the kids. And, um, and I remember T Chancellor said to me after I said, I said, was that helpful? And Chancellor said to me, yeah, she said something that was really helpful to me. And she told me that it was really important to ask questions on set and that it was really important if I didn't understand to clarify. And if I didn't, you know, you know, not just to sort of blindly accept direction or instructions, but to really engage in the process and to, and to, to understand it, to make sure. And, and I, I think that's really important because when you're intimidated, sometimes you don't, sometimes you nod your head when someone tells you something as if you, you, you know, and I think kids are sort of prone to doing this, right? They're not, you know, in a situation where they're on set with a bunch of adults and you say, can you do this? And, you know, you can imagine them nodding their head and doing it, but not fully sort of understanding why or how. And so I think her giving them permission. And, and I think that what the adults did, what the adult actors did was give the kids permission at all stages to, to sort of engage their natural curiosity, their natural instincts. And so that was really important for Chancellor. And then, I, you know, the, the thing I think about, the sort of anecdote I think about that was that was the most, that was the sort of most emblematic of, of the adults help them, helping me with the kids was in the scene where Denim, the youngest child, has to spit or spits at, at, at their mother, Dolores, um, because Dolores is trying to force them to wear pants and Denim doesn't want to wear pants. And so, um, and this has been a sort of long-standing tension between them. Um, so in the script and in, in the film, um, Denim spits at Dolores. Now Parker, the actor who plays Denim, is the sweet, most sweet-natured child you can imagine. And obviously that was a really hard thing to ask them to do, to spit at an adult. And they were very nervous about it. And, and Jenna just turned it into a game. And she, she sort of completely took control of the scene. And she, you know, because it was a, in the end, it was a physical scene between the two of them. It was between the two of them. And she, and she made it, you know, she knew it was personal and she turned it into a game. And she said, look, she said, let's, let's practice spitting. Let's show me how much spit you have. Is that all you have? Come on, you've got more spit than that. And she really just turned it, she just took away the taboo of spitting. She took away the kind of stigma of it, you know, and she just made it fun. And, and we were able to get the scene and it was entirely down to Jenna 
sort of taking rest, you know, taking control of that moment and really just working with Parker to make sure Parker was comfortable that we were able to get that scene. And then similarly, I think, you know, Pablo did exactly the same in, you know, was just a real sort of mentor for the children. And in, in the scene that there was a scene that Chancellor was really nervous about, which was the punch scene um, where Dodger, the oldest child punches the sort of stepfather figure Wayland and Chancellor, the actor who plays Dodger was nervous about that scene. And and what Pablo did, which was so generous, you know, obviously sometimes when actors, when they, when you're not shooting their coverage and you're on the, you know, you're over their shoulder and you're shooting the other actors coverage, sometimes they give a little bit less, you know, because it's not their coverage and they, you know, it's, it's ex and frankly, it's exhausting to do it repeatedly, right? So they don't do it out of selfishness, they do it out of self-preservation, but, but Pablo was just so... Um, he was just on, even when the camera was not on him, he gave 110%. He really, because he wanted Chancellor to get there and he wanted Chancellor to have something to react off of because acting is reacting to some extent. And and he really, he really worked the scene so that Chancellor could get worked up to the point where he would, where it felt natural and, and authentic and a natural reaction to deliver that punch. And so, and it was lovely because Chancellor saw that Pablo did that and so it, Chancellor reciprocated in kind. He saw that that was what, you know, when you're a generous scene partner, that that's what you do. And he kind of, he reciprocated. So even when he, you know, when the camera was off him, he kind of, you know, gave everything he had as well. So, uh, you know, and there were just sort of tons of instances like that. But, you know, the act, the, the, the adults, you know, this Pablo and Jenna were just so instrumental in getting those kid performances. And those kids had never acted before. Chancellor had done a few like commercials and catalog, a bit of catalog modeling and that kind of thing, but never really any substantial dramatic acting. And then the two younger kids hadn't done any acting at all. That's interesting. I mean, and also you really set yourself quite a task having three kids and then three kids that have never acted in anything because other films, you know, like you can hide behind style a little bit, but this is a family centric movie. All characters have to be unique and they have to carry the character. So how did you go about casting the kids? Well, I knew that. Um, so what we on we were really lucky in this film. I mean, I always say we had sort of several massive strokes of luck that kind of really helped us. And one of them was Pablo and Jenna saying yes to us and the other one was um, getting the producers that we did on board so Kevin and Francesca had produced the Florida project so they they had this kind of pedigree I suppose and have been in the industry a long time and just kind of this experience this wisdom this 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 pedigree and and you know having them come on the project really sort of was really helpful to us. I mean, at that, you know, they, it made the difference between sort of us being taken seriously when we went out to actors. I think, you know, as a first time filmmaker, I don't know that I would have been taken as seriously on my own as I, as I was with Kevin and Francesca producing this. So that was, you know, so that I think they were probably really helpful in helping us secure Pablo and Jenna as well. But um, in addition to the script, obviously, I mean, they have to respond to the script, but, um, but, but um, Kevin and Francesca had, Kevin had shared with me that Sean, when he was casting the, the Florida project had really left no, no stone unturned. He'd gone into Walmart. He'd sort of gone into kind of just anywhere where children congregate. And I, and I was really struck by that. And I, I you know, and I, I too wanted actors who had not necessarily had that training. Because sometimes with children, if they've been trained, it takes away a little bit of this, the, you know, the, the realism, the spontaneity, you know, they they act, you know, quote unquote, and they, you know, in a, in a, it, well, what they think is acting, but they lose maybe some other kind of honesty of, of the of the performance if they've been trained too much. And so I, I really wanted children who had just had a 
incredible natural ability, but we're, we're really sort of diamonds in the rough in a way. So I just did what, what Sean did. And I, you know, I went to grocery stores, I went to some affairs, I went any, literally anywhere where there were large crowds of people and I would scan the crowd and I would, you, your eye, you know, your eye gravitates towards, you know, church, you know, charismatic children, children, you know, children who other children listen to children who make, you know, you can just spot them, you know, you can even spot them at a distance. You can sort of see who the little leader is in their group. And so, you know, I would just sort of any child that I thought had had something, I would just go up to the pet, I'd find the parents and I'd go up to the parents and I'd say, Hey, we're, we're doing a film. Here's a flyer. And, and, and it was a strange thing to do. And I'm just not sure everyone believed us, but, but, but we, you know, we went everywhere. We, we kind of, um, you know, we went to, we went to sports rally, sports games. We went to supermarkets, Walmarts, Targets, um, your hardware stores. We you know we just went, um, and then we also did the classic sort of. We you know we we had a casting director in Oregon as well, and um, you know reached out to all the theater camps, all the summer, all the all you know any summer school that was happening that had any kind of acting element. We went and we we'd watch we you know we'd watch the children in class and any kids that we thought had something special. We'd sort of we you know, say to the teacher, would, you know, would they audition for us? So we really, we, we, you know, we, we really sort of probably ended up seeing hundreds of children. Um, um, and then was, you know, we, we, we were lucky that we were able to narrow it down to these three. And when, you know, when I saw them, it was obvious that they would be, they would be the ones. I mean, they're so, they're just so great. They're so one. I mean, as adults, I feel like we put up, we put up walls and we kind of, we don't want people to see how we feel. And we, we conceal our emotions because, you know, often our emotions are sort of of shame or fear or something. And so we don't want people to sort of see behind our eyes to what we're really feeling, but children don't necessarily have that instinct yet. They, they're a bit more honest. And so actually working with children is a really good and refreshing reminder to, to be honest and you're in your, you know, in your emotions and in your filmmaking. And it was, I, I actually learned probably as much from them as they did from me. And, you know, because they were just, you know, if you make them comfortable, and you create a comfortable set environment for them and they're not scared and that, you know, and, and I think for the kids, it was just really helpful to have, you know, if, if, you know, if they got nervous, I think it was just helpful having their parents nearby because they'd look at their parents, their parents would give them a little smile and a little nod and that would reassure them. And parents were invaluable as well. Actually, you cast children, you have to also cast parents. And if you've got supportive parents, which we did, that was, that, that's, that gets you so far. And, and, and they become, I think, a mirror, right, to, to so much. And certainly in your film, you know, I think when we're watching these kids, we instantly relate so much to them and we see the world kind of through their eyes because I think because they are kids and they're not, you know, so many of the other characters coming into your film are so tough and hardened. Um, and seeing the kids, I think, is is a, a way to connect pretty much all audience members instantly to, to this world. So going back to this world, what, why did you write this film? What inspired your writer director? What, what was the inception? Why did you write? What, you know, did you have experiences uh, in rural America? Uh, did you know characters like this? What was it that got you into a very specific world with the, the motorcycle clubs and um, you know, the work environment that they live in and all these things? Uh, how did you, how did you get into that? Well, my background in the UK is a very working class blue collar background. I'm a first generation high school graduate, first generation college graduate. And my family are all sort of 
I come from a family of immigrants to the UK, um, from Ireland on my dad's side and Italy on my mother's side. And everyone's a manual worker, you know, no one, my, my dad, when I was growing up was a construction worker, worked with his hands and, you know, um, and money was scarce. We were, we, we didn't have much money and kind of money was a constant source of tension in our family. Um, but, you know, but, you know, it was not without, you know, and, but, but these things are complex, right? I mean, you have hardship on the one hand and you have moments of joy, like the karaoke scene in the film on the other and kind of, but then the birthday scene where the kid doesn't get the birthday present they want. So all of that was very much drawn from my own background. And I, you know, and so, and so just to sort of backtrack a little, I, so I knew I wanted to make a film set in a blue collar community. I knew I wanted to make a film set in a blue collar community that was not going to be misery porn and was not going to be sadistic in terms of putting the characters really through the ringer and just making every, the worst things in the world. I mean, people say when they watch the film, we, we kept waiting for something really, really awful to happen. Um, and then it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, bad things happen in the film, but, and I, I think that's because, you know, that we, that, that, that sort of, I feel that sometimes films set in blue collar communities, especially if they're not made by people from those communities tend to kind of, tend, they, they tend to be issue focused. So they tend to want to sort of shed light on how hard it is, which is great and good. And it's, that's important to do, but it's also, but I think it takes away a little bit of agency from the characters and a little bit of, you know, like you can still have, you can be poor and still have agency. You can be poor and still make meaningful choices. You can be um, even bad choices, you know, good choices, bad choices, but choices. And, um, you know, and I just really wanted a film that would, that wasn't sort of, that was neither kind of triumphant and uplifting and kind of ennobled to these characters or was completely miserable and completely depressing and completely without hope. I want, you know, because I think the reality is somewhere in the middle. And, and it was important for me having, having, you know, lived a very, you know, grown up, very working class, although obviously now um, I've kind of, um, you know, I, I've since been to university, I've since sort of, you know, so I've kind of, I'm sort of have a foot in many worlds now, which is strange, but, but, you know, that was very much my upbringing and very much my childhood. And then, and then the funniest thing happened, which is kind of a bit of a throwback to how films used to be made, I think maybe in the nineties, which was, I met someone who, who, um, who was a retired businessman who had wanted to, and this is where we got most of our, most, but not all of our financing for the film, um, who always, um, who had always wanted to make a movie, had never made one. And then when he retired, and this is nice because it kind of fits in with the Lorelei theme of having a dream, not really getting it the first time around, but being, you know, but getting it in ways that you didn't expect later maybe. And and so he he just decided when he was retired um, um, that he was gonna make a movie. And so he sought me out. He, you know, he found me through mutual acquaintances and, and said, look, I, I'm willing to finance a film that is about a stepfather. That this was the only condition um, because I was a stepfather in my life. I raised four children. I married my wife when she was a bit older and we never had children of our own. And she had four children when we married and age between, I think, um, six and 13 or something or five, five and 13. And, um, and he raised those four children and he said it was the hardest thing he's ever done, but also the most rewarding thing he's ever done. And he felt that that, what, that, that kind of, male character in a film was an interesting character a character we don't often see that version of masculinity maybe that tenderness or you know that 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 journey of learning to love a, a child who is not your flesh and blood you know I think he thought that that was very meaningful and so I had to find my way into that story um um and you know I was I was I had this opportunity to make a to make a film um 
with that character. It's not necessarily what I would have gravitated towards. You know, someone had given me a carte blanche and said, make a film about anything. But I was able to really make it my own. I was able to make it my own by setting it in this blue collar community. I was able to make it, you know, I, and I, I, the film that really helped me think about the tone of this film was I rewatched Paris, Texas, because I thought, what are the films about fatherhood I really love? And Paris, Texas, I thought of Paris, Texas, I rewatched that film and thought it's sort of its bruised version of masculinity and fatherhood, that the kind of American dream sort of reimagined you know, not succeeding the first time around, actually being a monumental failure at being a dad and, you know, a husband the first time around, but somehow redeeming yourself set against this kind of epic sort of American West. And and that film kind of really, really inspired me tonally when I was thinking about Lorelei. And then the rest of it came through research. So I knew I wanted it to be a blue collar sort of, you know, family. And so, you know, practically I'm in LA, I thought, you know, the sort of close, you know, I thought, you know, it should be set in small town or rural America. Um, And so I thought of Oregon because it was easy for me to travel to Oregon. And it was, I, you know, and for a year and a half before shooting this film, I went up and down between LA and Oregon and just really went to every small town. I mean, I've, you know, been to every small town in Oregon. I've knocked on doors, just, you know, you know, people were really generous. They told me about, you know, I met bikers, I met, I'm, and so the, 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 the substance of the script, the detail of the script came from doing that research and kind of being really forensic about doing that research and, and really speaking to people about their lives, people who'd been through the prison system, people who'd sort of, you know, were unemployed or underemployed, you know, all of the sort of things, issues that sort of you see in the story that, that a lot of those came from kind of just talking to people. And a lot of those people ended up being extras in the film and sort of we sort of integrated them in a really lovely way as well. So, so really, you know, it came from that, that was the genesis, but then the substance, all the detail of it just came from the lived in quality of the film, I think was a result of really having committed to spending a lot of time up there and I you know and I was constantly sort of every every month I'd go up for like three or four weeks to 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 Oregon then come back down to LA and just really sort of um you know and I really got to know it very well and and sort of and I think that that was important because obviously you know there's it's one thing growing up sort of working class blue collar in the UK but very different experience here in the US I mean there are certain things about the family dynamics I think that are probably universal but the specifics of it you know the biker community as well we got you know we got to know that community really well. They were really instrumental in helping us make the movie. They kind of, um, you know, some local bikers just really, really took took us under their wings. I mean, it took a while to, you know, to earn their trust and friendship. But once we did, I think they really took us under their wings and they helped us. You know, they came out, they bought their bikes for us. And we'd never been able to get those big biker set pieces without the support of that community on a, on a small indie. So, um so I think there is, you know, I think the answer to your question is just tons of research and, you know, you can't get around doing the work sometimes and, um, and putting in the hours. And I think that that's what we did. Yeah. I think that, you know, with a small, with an independent film and filming in small town America, that's kind of what, you know, a lot of what you hope to get is a lot of people that are very, you know, excited and interested. It's also interesting that your financing kind of came through, at least primarily through almost like a commission piece of work, you know, in the beginning. So that's really that, I mean, now there was just the theme, but that that's a very atypical story. So that's very interesting. But I don't, I'm not sure there is a typical way. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think everyone's story, everyone's story of how they got their film off the ground is different and unique. And there's always, you know, because you always like, you you know, as a filmmaker, you're always like, what are are the rules? What do I need to do? It's so hard to, 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 to sort of rise in this industry that we all want a template. We all want a kind of set of rules that we can adhere to. And actually, you know, I mean, I think, 
you know, I think, and this is so much the theme of the film as well, that you have to be resilient, you have to be creative, you have to bounce back from failure. The film is about bouncing back from failure. And I mean, I, you know, and I, I think you have to kind of see possibility where maybe you where you know in places in unexpected places and and I say this you know for for filmmakers who are kind of trying to get their films made but it's also very much the theme of Lorelei actually um because I think I think you know and a good I don't think we talk enough about our failures in life and about about uh, you know you, you know you you sort of make a film and then you talk about the film and you know but there are many sort of hurdles and many sort of, you know, many forked paths on the way to making your film. And I, I think it's just really important to sort of recognize that, 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 that the path to success is littered with failure. And that, that kind of is a, I, I think that when I, you know, I always really appreciated hearing that on the way to making yeah. my first film. So I think it's worth just sort of spreading yeah, absolutely. the <laughs> <laughs> So I want to get, since we're in, now we're in Oregon, let's talk a little bit about your production just kind of overall. What was your schedule like? And, you know, how did that all shake out? We shot for 25 days, um, 21 of which were in Oregon. Um, and then we shot for two days in Sacramento um, because we, um, the location at the end of the film, the, the, the bar, the, the, the dive bar, it's called the Mermaid Bar at the end of the film is in Sacramento. And it's really one of a kind. There's really nothing like it in the world. Um, so we, you know, that took us to Sac. I mean, it was, and it was such, such an incredible location and really, I mean, I just love the end of the film so much. It's my, you know, it's my favorite bit of the film in some ways. And I think that the location is so key, was so key to achieving that and pulling off that kind of ending. So we had to go to Sacramento. Um, so we we went to Sacramento and then we did two days in LA for the sort of LA stuff and some of the beach stuff as well. So yeah. 21, 21 days in Oregon, yeah. So That's it was hard. I mean, we not only shot with three kids, we also shot, you know, in two different states, three different, you know, three different yeah. sort of and cities, you know. And not to focus too much on the tech stuff, but I know that it's always just something that interests people. What did you guys end up, you know what you shot on and the, the camera and lenses and kind of your, your base package? Yeah, so we shot on, um, we shot 5K um, uh, HD on the Red Gemini. And we shot on Cook, vintage Cook Pancro lenses that gave us that kind of, you know, that soft warm look that the mm -hmm. film has comes from the lenses, which were vintage lenses, which I think was really important. And um you know, we, 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 we had many favors and many, you know, pulled many favors to get those. And so that was, that was a wonderful thing to get. And then we mostly, um, you know, we shot 185 or we shot six. I mean, it's sort of 5k HD is, is, is actually a 16 by nine format. So we windowed off to 185. So, which gave us a little bit of room to reframe in post, um, which was always, it is always a bit helpful. Um, and then we shot, you know, 24 frames a second, except for the, uh, for the water stuff. And we extensively tested the water stuff and, um, you know, you can't really shoot, you have to shoot water in slow-mo. And so we sort of taste, tested a bunch of frame rates before going into production. And, you know, I even, you know, we went into a friend's pool, the DP and I, and kind of just did tons of underwater tests and just really looking for what was, how to make water look the best that it did. And I was the kind of, I was a sort of, Jenna stand in for that and I can testify to how hard it is to do everything that she did underwater because I was I was that person in the tests um and it's really it's really hard it's really hard not to look like you're drowning underwater when you're underwater and opening your eyes and so the fact that she kind of pulls off these amazing you know serene expressions you know that convey so much that convey maternal love and longing and regret all while underwater when most people would just look like they're drowning is incredible to me. So, but the water stuff we shot at mostly at 60 frames a second, which was what we found 
tended to look a few things we we shot at different frame rate but 60 fps tended to be where it looked the best um you can't yeah water just does not look good shot you know at you know at 24 so um then other stuff i mean you know lighting wise you know we, we were shooting mostly in you know real real limited space because we we were shooting in real houses real location found locations you know so space was always limited um but you know we we we, we mostly sort of had sort of soft pretty diffused lighting but with hard hits occasionally of sun or whatever and um and um what else technically that's probably the most important stuff right well uh, taking that and and talking about the fact that you shot this movie so quickly but also um if people listening have seen the film or if they're going to see the film either way i know they'll agree if they've seen the film and if they haven't seen the film this is one of the big reasons to watch it is just the amazing relationship between your two leads that was incredibly intimate and complex. So you're shooting a very fast schedule and shooting a lot. And yet you have these extremely intimate, complex scenes with your two leading actors. How did you go about that? Was there a lot of rehearsal? Have they worked together before? Did they know each other? I mean, it it was a uh, I can take no credit for any of this. I mean, no, they had not worked together before. No, I think they maybe had met once at a party or something, but not really. They didn't know each other. Um, And we had a table read before the night before or two nights before we started production, but otherwise no rehearsal, Um, (laughs) which is very common. I mean, I don't think you can really expect a rehearsal period on an indie. Obviously, that's the dream is to have that. But but honestly, um, I did rehearse with the children. I did, you know, and we, or more than rehearse, we kind of did little sort of acting workshops with them where we'd sort of get them to imagine their characters' backstories. And we, you know, and we taught them, you know, just what a camera was, what a shot was, why we had to do the same thing 10 different times, <laughs> um, you know, just kind of gave them a little boot camp in acting and filmmaking. So we did with the kids, but not, you know, with the two leads, they just, you know, I feel like if, I mean, I think, you know, you know, you hear sort of people say this all the time, but with actors of that caliber, you just have to get out of their way. You just have to kind of make them create a sort of, you know, comfortable environment on set where they're not distracted. And, you know, and it's hard on an indie because there were tons of distractions all the time. And I'm not sure we always achieve this, but, but, you know, but they, I mean, it's just a testament to their sort of focus and their incredible professionalism that, you know, despite being a very scrappy, very difficult production with tons of production difficulties, you know, as, you know, invariably on this kind of film, they were able to sort of really, they were able to really focus and really kind of, they both had very, I mean, I feel like if actors understand the screenplay and they understand the intent of the screenplay and they understand the tone of the screenplay, that's enough. Then, you know, with actors of that caliber, I don't, you know, I don't have to fine tune, you know, the odd time we had a slightly different take on a scene and, you know, I would say, well, I see this scene as doing this and then we'd have a discussion about that. But mostly I feel like if they understand the tone, they understand the character and the intent then you're you're, you know you're off you're off to the races I mean it really it really they're just so good I mean I don't don't know what to say I mean it's kind of when you work with actors who are that good you're like oh crap I never want to go back I mean you know I mean it's (laughs) just that's 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 what it is that they're really good at what they do this is why great actors really make a difference to to I mean they you know they just make a huge difference I can't emphasize enough and, and everything ultimately has to be about them. I mean, you know, you know, if it, you know, I mean, you know, it's great to have beautiful images. It's great to kind of, you know, really lean into the sort of poeticism and the sim. I love the cinematic medium, right? I love cinema language. I love, 
all of that. But ultimately, if you don't have the performances and you don't have the kind of, if you, you know, the performances are the most important thing. The actors are the most important thing, ultimately, because they're the kind of, film is an emotional medium. You feel it in your, in your, in your, in your guts, in your entrails and the, you know, and the people that give you that emotion are the, are the actors, you know, they're your, they're your conduits, they're your vessels. And so, um, you know, I, I think the way you work with great actors is to cast great actors. <laughs> <laughs> and so you write a script that they want to be in. That's important. Like, and so you write a script that gives them a complex character. And I think the complexity of both Wayland and Dolores appeal to these, you know, the fact that Dolores, was a mum who made bad choices and was not a perfect mother, really appealed to Jenna. Jenna had recently had, a, you know, this was her first big role back after having a kid, um, her first kid. And she's been very open about the difficulties with being a single mother and how hard that is. And, and I think the fact, I think she really empathized with Dolores and really saw complexity in Dolores and an, and, and an opportunity to show a mother who has many facets to her and many kind of, you know that and that so that's a really meaty role for an actor right like you know not just a, not just you know not just the supportive girlfriend whose sole role in the screenplay is to help Wayland redeem Wayland you know she's an she's an antagonist she has a whole arc of her own she has a whole dream life of her own she has her own thing that she's doing you know aside from Wayland and I think that that's really appealing and then Wayland for his um for Wayland's character I think Pablo just loved the fact that and you've got in this one character you've got sort of both tenderness and and roughness and hardness and you've got that in the same character in the same movie and that the ability to kind of show both sides of 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 you know to be able to sort of be you know he's a huge guy he's six foot five he's got this kind of physicality that's really interesting but also this kind of you know this softness and this tenderness that he shows in this film and this capacity for love which I think he you know you don't often you know see in the same role you know when he does a sort of film that sort of depends on his physicality it's often an action film and it, you know so that complexity I think really appealed to him so you know I just think writing a script that actors will want to be in is 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 the key and then once you've got that you know and you and they're they're on and they're in you know you're you're you know you're in a really you're I mean I was I was just incredibly lucky once they said yes and you know I mean and the chemistry between them was off the charts as well I mean it's you know and I mean and chemistry is not what you think chemistry is interesting because I think their chemistry partly came from also their the fact that they're very different as people you know he is Pablo is a very kind of comes from a theater background and has this kind of he carries the weight of the film on his shoulders and he kind of he's he's the sort of he's the sort of center around which the film revolves and then Jenna is this kind of disruptive kind of very spontaneous as an actor does you know does something different in every take and so they're kind of they're very different style I mean they're both brilliant in their own ways and and but they're both but they both have quite different styles as actors which I think kind of created some of that spark I think in the film sure yeah so do you mind how did you guys uh well how did post end up going so how long were you editing the film when did you finish shooting how long did you edit and what was that process like for you we were editing for about nine months, which is a long, longish edit. Um, but our editor was also um, the AE. Uh, we didn't, you know, we was we, we didn't have enough money to have that be two people. So, so he was dealing with a lot of just the kind of, you know, just the really boring organizational, you know, we have a lot of footage, a lot of drives, and just the boring stuff of organizing the whole project. He was doing that, and also having the create, you know, being the sort of creative person um so that so it was a longish edit um at nine months but 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 we got there and then we we were sort of due to premiere at Tribeca and then we're sort of sort of scrabbling to sort of finish post 
in time for Tribeca, so finishing the film, you know, sound design and color basically, and music. Um, and then and then we got sort of in, you know, but three weeks to go for Tribeca 2020, the festival got canceled because of the pandemic. And so we were unable, you know, both to attend the festival in person at that point, um, um, but also to finish the film because we still, we had our score done at that point, but we didn't have a final, we hadn't mixed and we hadn't, we'd done a bit of sound design, but no, you know, not really anything that substantial. And then, um, and then we hadn't, um, you know, we hadn't, we'd done, we'd started color, but definitely had not, we would definitely not sort of done with color. So those things had to wait then till the end of summer, the summer of 2020, um, which was tough, you know, it was tough to have an almost finished film because I, I do think it actually makes a huge, you know, we, and we had screeners that we sent out to people, but I think it makes a huge difference. If your film isn't mixed, for example, properly, um, a line of ADR can sound a bit artificial and you think, oh, that was a bad line read or a bad performance. And it's not, it's just that the line was not, isn't mixed properly. So you stands out, you noticed it because it's, and you notice that it's ADR because it sounds a bit hollow. It sounds a bit artificial in the sound. So just stuff like that. So we, you know, it, it was just a bit frustrating for me as a filmmaker on a sort of technical level sending out because, you know, it's not just technical. I mean, I know when people say, oh, it's just technical, we can look past it. But actually the technical stuff ma really makes a difference to how absorbed you are in the story. And it can really take you out when there's technical, if you're not, you know, even the most seasoned viewers, honestly, I think, you know, who are used to seeing rough cuts of things. I think if something's unfinished, you know, it just takes you out of the story a little bit. You know, you're not, you just notice that kind of thing. And anyway, so we weren't able to finish that until the end of the summer. And then finally we were able to sort of find, you know, do a final sound mix. And I was able to go in person because everything started to open up at that point a little bit. And I was able to attend in person to do a sort of, to, you know, for the color sessions and the final sound mix. And then we finally screened the film in front of an audience at the Deauville American Film Festival in France in the fall of 2020, which was amazing because it was a kind of, it happened at a lull in the pandemic when, uh, you know, a, a few physical festivals did happen. Um, and it was a beautiful festival. The French are such cinephiles. So, you know, we had a massive audience for the film. We had a sort of 1000 person auditorium, I think that was practically full with a bit of social distancing, but full. And it was just lovely. It was a lovely experience. And we won the jury prize at that festival, which was such a lovely kind of, you know, you make a film in a bubble and you don't know how it will be received. And it's always a bit nerve wracking. And so to kind of just screen it and have it be appreciated was really nice. And, um, and the French are such great lovers of cinema so it was really lovely to to finally premiere the film in that kind of environment but it, you know we we lost a year basically which was yeah. very frustrating um yeah i think that's going to be very difficult but luckily i mean with your structure it seems like your investor probably was not too no i mean they understood you know what i mean like it's not like you had you know a whole bunch of liability of funds you have to like give back with a certain time frame and that stretch but what so moving forward to kind of your distribution angle now because now you're with vertical verticals distributing the film correct and uh, what what has the process been like with getting on board with them and tribeca and and everything what are you what are you looking forward to so we we have a sales agent visit films that um so that that is our sort of representative for selling the film both in the u.s and internationally so we have the you know we have to deal with vertical domestically here in the u.s but also various other sort of deals that are coming in from across the world which is great um so the film is you know coming out in the uk in the fall which is wonderful and you know various other you know we sold it to hbo europe for for eastern europe and and various other i mean various other sort of distribution deals um that, that are coming in and visit is the kind of hub for everything so they're they're our they're our sales agent and um 
and we're coming out on we're coming out day and date on July 30th so that means we're sort of going to be screening digitally and in theatres at the same time and so if you're you know obviously if anyone is near a theatre and has the opportunity to see this in a theatre I would love people to see it in a theatre because that's kind of how we shot it to be seen in a theatre and I think it's a it's a magical experience to you know I, I just think it's a having seen this film in sort of very many different contexts you know I just I think there's something about the big screen experience that to me is still really special and you know every film really benefits from being seen on the big screen so um and it was wonderful to see the film actually in a beautiful outdoor location by the Hudson River in New York um the other week which was amazing um, oh yeah it just That's... it was yeah it was really beautiful um it, it did it did rain a little bit but but kind of that was in keeping with the Pacific Northwest setting of the story. Some people were like, oh, this is 4D, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so I'm just looking forward to, I mean, but, but but it's coming, but if you don't have, you know, if you don't have a theater nearby that's showing it, you, you know, you can see it on on digital and, and, and so I, you know, so that we, so you have both, you have the option of both. And I'm really, I, I just want this film to sort of get the broadest possible audience. And so that, you know, I think the sort of day and date format is really good for that, for, for indies, because it gives you the opportunity to show it to people on the big screen. But also, you know, if, you, if you're not near a cinema that's showing it, which you may well not be, you still get access to these kind of independent films, which is great. Because um, I think, you know, a lot of times you sort of hear about these indies and if, you know, and you're like, how do I see this film? And so, and you don't, you know, you don't get to see it. So this kind of is the sort of best of all worlds, I think, um, for this type of film and this size of film. Um, so yeah, I'm just looking forward to kind of it getting out there. Honestly, it's been a long time. Um, the I mean, Periwinkle, um, Amelia, the actress, actress who plays Periwinkle, she was 10 and a half when we shot this film and I saw her at Tribeca last week and she's taller than me now. Like that's, that shows you how much time has passed. I was like, oh, that you shot up. Um, you know, it's a, this is, I mean, it's been a long, this is a long time in the life of a kid, you know, as well. I mean, I'm excited for them to kind of, they've been waiting so patiently. And if it's a long time, if, you know, if this year of the pandemic has been a long time in the life of an adult, it's even longer than the life of a kid. So I'm, you know, I'm really just really excited for everyone to kind of, you know, for the kids in particular, I think it's going to be really exciting for them. And we'll do some stuff in Portland and we'll have a sort of opening in Portland and we're screening in actually several theatres in Oregon, across Oregon, because, it, you know, there's obviously strong local interest in the film. So it'll be nice to kind of get back up to Oregon and and just kind of say thank you to all the folks that helped us. You know, I think we got a lot of favours. And I think that, you know, you said earlier that for an indie like this, it's it's about you know, what you hope for is the favors, right? That kind of elevate you and give you that extra production value. And we got that. We, we, we had so much friendship shown to us and so much support. So it'd just be really nice to kind of bring the film home and, and show people like, okay, well, this is what you, you know, this is what you contributed and this is what it ends up. This is, you know, there is something at the end of it. You know, I think that'll be really satisfying. Absolutely. Well, if you're listening to this uh, podcast, the film is Lorelei. That's L-O-R-E-L-E-I. Uh, look for it on screen. And if you can't find it on screen near you, look for it on VOD. Uh, where else can people follow you or find more information about you? Do you have a website and Instagram? Where, where should they go? Yeah. So Sabrina Doyle film on Instagram and also my website. So Sabrina Doyle at Sabrina Doyle film or Sabrina Doyle, Sabrina Doyle film. I forgot my own name. Sabrina Doyle film.com. Great. Awesome. Sabrina, it was so nice to get to meet you and thank you very much for sharing your film and coming on. Thanks, guys. It was lovely talking to you. Filmmaking is a collaborative experience, and so is this podcast. Please take a second to subscribe so you know about future episodes. 
and leave a review. It really does help us. For more info about today's guest, please visit independentfilmmakersguide.com, where you can check out all our episodes that run the gamut of filmmaking topics. They're available in both audio and video format. IFG is created by Framework Productions. This episode was hosted and directed by Stephen Pierce and James Allardyce. It was produced and edited by Matt Mundy and Audrey Ray McHale. The music is by Glassboy. Find his music on freemusicarchive.org. See and listen to all the episodes at independentfilmmakersguide.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, friends, we just wanted to take a quick moment to talk about two personal things. First, we wanted to thank you, our listening community, and our wonderful guests, learning so much together along the way and continuing to learn, sharing our stories, making a lot of new friends, and collaborating, which is exactly what this is all about. Which also brings me to my second point. In great part to many of these new relationships, we wanted to let you know that we've taken a lot of this advice ourselves and made our own narrative feature film, Heard. H-E-R-D, Heard, which is premiering this October on Friday the 13th in select theaters as well as on VOD. Personally, I think it's the perfect kind of scary movie to watch during our favorite scary season. So we'd love for you to celebrate with us and watch Heard. You can pre-order it on Apple TV, and of course, do the communal thing, see it in theaters. Of course, for all of this, please see our show notes, but basically, we're going to keep it all updated at herd.film. That's H-E-R-D dot F-I-L-M, herd.film as well. Thank you again, and be sure to give us a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to build this community and collaborate. IFG, how movies get made.